All right, guys, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Salt City, and we're glad to have you here this morning as we open up God's Word together. We are in the third part of a three-part series, and so the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the first two C's in our core values that we celebrate each week here who Jesus is in his greatness and in his grace. And then last week, we talked about connecting. We talked about how we were made for community, not just for selfish reasons, to meet some need in ourselves, but so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And this morning, we're talking about contributing. And so God, in his grace, has made us in his image. The Bible starts off by saying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what we see is that God is a generous giver. He creates everything, and then, to cap it all off, he creates humanity. And it's as if God is saying that all of these things that I've created, the mountains and the trees and the stars and the clouds, it's all a gift to you. And then he says to human beings who have been made in his image that we are to go and do likewise. In other words, we're to take what he has made and we are to be generous with it and we are to be good stewards of it. But here's the problem. That paradise lasts a very short time. And we come to Genesis chapter 3, and humanity, rather than choosing to follow in God's ways, chose to do what God forbid them to do. And this has created what we call in biblical terms the fall. So the world is a broken place. And something that we fail to recognize often is that one of the ways that we have become broken as human beings is that instead of being the generous givers that God has created us to be, we've turned in on ourselves. We've become hoarders. We've become greedy. And I would say this is one of the sins that specifically as Americans is really hard for us to see. And it's because greed and materialism has become so normal, it's almost like it's the air that we breathe. And so it's very difficult for us to see our own greed because we look around us and we say, well, there's always somebody richer than I am. There's always somebody who appears outwardly to be more greedy than I am. And so we fail to see our own greed. I just ask you the question, when is the last time that you confessed to someone else who's a believer in Jesus that you are struggling with greed. I don't think that we confess that very often because we don't really see it as a problem. And so what we're going to see today in Scripture is that God's generosity to us, his giving to us of all these amazing gifts, is meant to flow through us. We have been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the whole world. The Bible says, to much is given, much is required. And I would say, as a church family, much has been given to us. And so we're going to look at four 
reasons that Christians should be marked by generosity. The first one we're going to look at is that generosity is an investment. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start with verse 6, and we're going to go through verse 15. But we're just going to read a couple verses at a time. So generosity is an investment. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just reading verses 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, let me give you a little bit of background on this passage. The Apostle Paul is writing an occasional letter to the Corinthians. And what I mean by that is he has a specific ask in mind as he writes this letter. And one of the things that he's asking for is that the Corinthian church, which is an urban, wealthy church, he's asking them to be generous to a poor church that is thousands of miles away in Jerusalem. Saying, okay, guys, you got your tithe figured out in your local community. You're being generous to one another. But I want you to begin to look outside your doors, and I want you to begin to be generous to a community that's far away from you. Now, investing in the local church has never been popular, and investing in the poor has never been popular either. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's combining these two things. He's like, I want you to give to a poor local church that you're not part of. So what that means is the Apostle Paul is going to have to bring his A game to convince this church that that's actually a good idea. And so he pulls out this farming analogy, and he begins to talk about sowing and reaping. And he's saying if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. In other words, as a farmer, the more seed that you scatter on the ground, the more crops are going to grow. He says, I want you to think about investing in this poor church the way that a farmer thinks about sowing seed. Now, I've never met a farmer who, when they think about sowing seed, they think of it as giving up the seed. Like, this is a really hard decision for them. They've bought all the seed They've got it in a pile, and they're like, I just can't get myself to throw the seed in the ground. <laughs> like, this is really hard for me to give up my precious seed. The seed is my treasure, and to throw it in the ground, that would be a waste, and to give it all away. No, the purpose of seed is to sow it in the ground so that it produces a crop. The Apostle Paul says, this is the way that I want you to think about all of your money. As something to invest, not something to hold on to and to hoard. Here, I think, is the problem. The reason that we don't give our money generously to the local church in general, and we don't give our money away from to the poor, is because we think of it as a terrible investment. Like, really? 
the church? Have you been to a church? People are messed up. You start getting involved in connection group, you're like, oh, man. I'm going to invest in this? Are you serious? This community, this place, you're telling me this is God's plan A. This is the hope of the world. Really? Okay. All right. I don't know. I think I could find a better investment. You know, guys, I was doing a little bit of research of um, the most successful stocks over the past 10 years. And you might think it's a flashy company, right? Like Amazon or Google or Apple. And those are all in the top four, actually. But the one that will surprise you that's... <laughs> that's uh, what will surprise you is number one, okay? Number one will surprise you. It's Domino's Pizza, okay? Over the past 10 years, Domino's Pizza, in the year 2010, they came out with this ad campaign. I don't know if you remember it, but essentially their ad campaign was, our pizza is terrible. We are going to make our pizza better. And they did, and they also came out with this super... Um, basically easy way for you to order pizza. I didn't know this, but you can actually order a Domino's pizza by texting a pizza emoji. College students know this, right? So it got really bottom shelf. All the 21-year-old dudes with their Keystone light were like, pizza emoji, <laughs> boom. I've got pizza, all right? And um, so anyway, Domino's pizza stock since 2010 has gone up 2,000%. 2,000%. So you start doing the math on that, right? You invest $10, that's a $20,000 return. Right? You wish, like, if you could go back to 2010 and you knew this information, Domino's Pizza looks a lot like the church to you, right? Terrible investment. Am I going to invest... In Amazon stock, or am I going to invest in Domino's Pizza? You would pick Amazon 100 times out of 100, right? But if you knew what I'm telling you now, you would put as much money as you possibly can into Domino's stock because you would be a millionaire. It would be the best possible investment. And it wouldn't matter to you how stupid that looked to the people around you. You might sell your car. You might sell your computer. You might put off going to college to invest in Domino's Pizza stock. Here is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The church and the poor is eternal Domino's Pizza stock. It is an investment that in the end will turn out to be the best possible way for you to spend your money. And he says, in this understanding of investing in the kingdom of God comes the secret to being a cheerful giver. You want to be happy about giving? understand that it's an investment that cannot fail. So instead of feeling like when you put your big check in those offering boxes or when you sign up online to give, 
a tenth or more of your income, instead of feeling like that's this huge loss, you'll be like, <laughs> this is amazing. Do you have any idea what kind of return I'm going to get on this money? Right? You begin to see that that is the best possible way that you can spend your money and you're not doing it reluctantly and you're not doing it under a compulsion because you have found the secret to using your money wisely. So that's the first reason that the Apostle Paul says Christians should be marked by generosity. Here's the second one. Generosity is investment. Number two, generosity is stewardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. So he's continuing the same argument. He's just said, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous, in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So here's the way that Paul continues this argument. He says... God is able to make all grace abound to you. Remember, the context is giving. It goes on to explain what he means by this. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, all things, all times, you may abound in every good work. What he's saying is, one of the worries that we have as givers, especially if we give to the poor and give to the church, is that we won't have enough money to pay our own bills. And here's what Paul is saying, very practical terms. He's saying, if you're generous with your money, God will supply all of your needs. You can't outgive God. You will have all sufficiency at all times in all things. In other words, you're going to have enough desire, you're going to have enough energy, you're going to have enough money, and you're going to have enough time to give to all of these things that are investments in God's kingdom, and you're still going to have plenty of money left over that you're going to be able to pay for what you need to live. He goes on to clarify this at the end. Says it in a very succinct way. Pulls it back up to verse 6, where he talks about the sowing sparingly, reap sparingly. So he goes back to this farming analogy. He said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. See, God is not only the one who, when you make this investment, causes that investment to prosper, he's actually the one that supplies the seed for you as well and actually gives you the motivation and the ability to plant that seed in a wise way. He goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous, which will produce thanksgiving to God. So God makes you able to work. 
He makes your work prosper in such a way that you will be able to pay for all of your necessities and you will have plenty to give away. Here's what this is saying, big picture. Everything that we have is a gift. Everything that we have was made by God. In fact, we were made by God with specific gifts and talents and abilities. And because of that, we're able to make money. And even our money is a gift from God and our ability to give is a gift from God. Which means this, we have to stop thinking about the stuff that we have as our stuff. We have to stop thinking about the money that we have as our money. We have to stop thinking of ourselves as owners and we need to begin to think of ourselves as stewards. Everything that we have is God's. We are God's. The stuff that we have is God's. And because of that, he holds us accountable and makes us responsible to not hoard it for ourselves, but to be generous with it. One of the things that often happens at my house is I'll be upstairs, my kids will be downstairs watching TV, and one of the things that we do is we'll give them a piece of candy or a sucker or gum or something like that while they're watching TV. So one of them will usually come upstairs and they'll say, Dad, can I have a piece of candy and can I get a piece of candy for everyone else and take it back downstairs so everyone can have this piece of candy while they're watching the movie? And I'll say yes. And what I'll usually do is I'll go up on top of the refrigerator, I'll grab some pieces of candy, and then I bend down to them and I say, okay, here's the piece of candy for you, and here's the other four pieces of candy for your brothers and sisters. And you need to, that's right, I have five kids. Um, (laughs) You need to give this candy to them. What am I teaching them in that moment? They're not owners of the candy, they're stewards of it. I have a specific purpose for them, for the candy. And so on occasion, what I'll find out is that between the upper floor of our house and the lower floor of our house, that that child did not think of themselves as a steward, but thought of themselves as an owner. And the result of that is that they snuck into a back bedroom or into the bathroom and put all five pieces of candy in their mouth and ate it all and didn't give any of it to their siblings. And do you know what? As a dad, it makes me sad, but it also makes me very angry because I told them what the purpose of me giving them that candy was. That candy is ultimately God's candy, but I bought that candy. So in a sense, in the analogy, right, it's my candy. And I told you what to do with that candy. And you lied to me. And then you hoarded it for yourself. What I'm also bummed about is that they missed out on the opportunity to be generous. You know what they've learned is that it's really fun. When they do it right, what they do is they grab the candy from me and they run downstairs and they're like, candy! Right? And they get to distribute it to everybody else. God wants us to think of the things that we have as a stewardship, not as ownership, because the greatest joy that we can have in life 
is to become stewards of the things that God has given us. We get to have that moment where we get to take what God has given to us and give it to others, which leads us to the next point. Giving is not just an investment in the future where we'll reap these rewards way down the road. It's also an opportunity in the present. Giving is an opportunity. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain this, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12. For the ministry of this service, giving to this poor church, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Because the Corinthian church is thousands of miles from this poor church in Jerusalem, they're not going to get to have that aha moment with them where they see this church, this poor church, rejoice that this distant urban church has supplied their needs. But the Apostle Paul is coaxing them to dream a little bit. He's saying, imagine if you saw this giving moment as an opportunity to supply these people's needs. Imagine the look on their faces. He's saying, we're talking about real people with real needs here. And because of the abundance of resources that God has given you, you actually have an opportunity to do some good in the world. You actually have an opportunity to supply other people's needs. You see, the reason that God has distributed resources in a completely uneven way across the world is because it has created opportunities for generosity. The reason that you have all of the stuff that you have is not so you can drive a nicer car or buy a nicer house. It's so that you can be generous. It's an opportunity. And the opportunity really meets the needs of real people. It's very practical. And those people will ask you, why have you been generous? And in that moment, you will have the opportunity to give the glory to God. God has given me my ability to make money. He has given me my money. And so I am a steward of that money. All glory to him. And then those people, because you give the glory to God, when you take the opportunity to give, will thank him. And so in one moment, you will fulfill the whole law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Generosity unlike almost anything else, is a fulfilling of the entire law of God. It brings him glory, and it brings other people joy. It's a way to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question I have for you is, what opportunities are right in front of you that would bring others joy, that would bring God glory, and would actually bring joy to your heart? What needs in the world is God asking you to meet through financial means? Melissa and I were in a life-changing meeting in 2010. I'll never forget this meeting. We're sitting in an adoption meeting at Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa. And we hear at that meeting that there are 80 million people in the Democratic Republic of Congo and five million of them are orphans. And in that meeting, we learned 
that to adopt two kids would cost over $40,000. And we didn't know how we were going to get $40,000. And we didn't know how we were going to meet this need. But we trusted that God would supply our needs as we distributed this money to poor kids thousands of miles away. And as a result of that, two of our kids who we love and treasure and interact with every single day, who live in our house, got to go from the poorest country in the world, a place where both of them possibly could have died. They both had different parasites. Our daughter had malaria. They were sick when they came home. In one plane flight, they went from the poorest country in the world to the richest country in the world. I don't regret taking that opportunity. But in your future, if you hoard your resources, you will miss out on some of the greatest joys and opportunities of seeing other people flourish because of your abundance. This is one of the most Christ-like things that you can possibly do. And so I'm begging you to expand your dreams for your life, to get beyond this so-called American dream and get on to doing something with your life that actually matters. To look at your resources and say, how can I invest this money in a way that other people would say thank you and they would give glory to God. That's the opportunity that's in front of us. But let's be honest, at the core of us, when we really think about us, when we really think about ourselves, we realize that we are greedy. We're selfish. None of us wants to make that move. So what is it that creates this fundamental change that has real life application. We see last, certainly not least, that generosity is a response. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 13 through 15. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So he goes on to further explain, okay, you give money to this poor church. They're going to approve of your service. They're going to glorify God. Why? He gives us the heart of the matter. He gives where generosity at its root really comes from. He said, they'll glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So the first thing he says we have to understand is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This submission this act of giving, this giving up of the American dream for opportunities to give what we have to others 
it comes from a confession of the gospel of Jesus. Just before this, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul clearly explains to us what the gospel message is. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Have you ever thought of the cross as the ultimate example of generosity? You see, Jesus is the richest person in the universe. He actually is the owner of everything. Jesus is the God who spoke and created everything that exists. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is in a category by himself. Everything that we see and everyone that we see is his possession. He is inexpressibly rich. This inexpressibly rich person became homeless and poor. Scripture says the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. If you saw him on the street corner, you would think that he was homeless. This king of the universe became obedient to the point of death on the cross. This inexpressibly rich person became so poor that he hung naked on a cross for you. He literally had nothing. Why would he do that? So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus took on what you deserve so that you could get what he alone deserves. Scripture goes as far as to say that we are co-heirs with Christ. Which means that God's intention in the end is to give you everything that he has. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Which means there's going to be this giant wedding in heaven. And God is going to give us everything. By his poverty, you have become rich. So what should our response be to this? News. We deserve to be punished eternally for our sin and our greed and our hoarding of our resources. And instead of being punished, Jesus was punished for us so that we get what he deserves. What should our response be? How should we act toward this community? How should we think about our money? How should we think about our time? How should we think about our treasure? I mean, you can't even really begin to think of a response, can't you? Like, it seems trite, like, oh, I think I'll just put $10 in the offering box afterwards. Really? I think I'll give a couple granola bars to a poor person. Hmm. 
Like, it just seems like there has to be a better response than that. It seems like if we really believed this, if we really understood this, that we would submit. That's what the Apostle Paul's calling for here. A life submitted to this king. And when you are on your knees in front of the cross, you are a generous person. And so what I want you to know is, if you're struggling with greed, if you're struggling with generosity, the answer is not, shame on you. Start giving your money. Come on. Get your stuff together. That'll never work. That will never change your heart. But what will change your heart forever is when you see the generosity of God toward you. When you see that everything that you have and everything that you are is from him, it'll change your life forever. But here's the thing. We've got to start somewhere, right? We've got to start somewhere. So what's the next step for you? Is it to sign up to start giving to this local community, to give yourself fully here, to give to something that looks like a terrible investment and trust God that he's going to turn that into this beautiful and amazing crop? Maybe it's simply just to get to know Jesus. Maybe what's being exposed in you is, well, I thought I knew Jesus, but my life is so far from being a generous life that maybe I don't even know him. Maybe I need to do business with him. Or maybe God has placed you here this morning because he is calling you to a radical step. You know, Jesus had the audacity to tell people to sell everything they have and to come follow him. Maybe that's you. Maybe he wants you to do something that the world looks at and says, that is absolutely nuts, but turns out to be the best investment that could possibly be. As many people as are here, I think there's as many applications of this message. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Father God, um, our greed has been exposed. I just look at this passage and I have to say that my life is not a proper response to what Jesus has done for me. And I don't want this to be a service, God, where we're sort of aware of our need for these 30 or 40 minutes and then we just immediately go away and forget about it. But we need you, God, to so captivate us with the grace of Jesus, that we're actually enabled to respond rightly, that we're actually able to respond cheerfully and joyfully to something that looks so crazy in the world's eyes. I'm asking God that you would make us a generous people so that we would be enabled to love this city and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.